Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Kings and chapter 8, page 311 in the Church Bible. And I think I can honestly say this will probably now be the last sermon in 1 Kings 8, and then I propose to resume at our former speed, which is roughly a chapter at a time. But 1 Kings 8 is one of the great prayers of the Old Testament, and certainly deserves more than one sermon. I'm not sure how many I've preached, something like half a dozen I think. 1 Kings chapter 8 and we'll read from verse 54 to 61. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. Then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine with which I have made supplication before the Lord be near the Lord our God day and night that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day may require that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. Let's pray. Lord, again we plead, incline our hearts unto yourself to walk in all your ways. Grant us now your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to impress the truth from heaven upon our hearts. Lord, we confess we are all too human, all too sinful, all too easily impressed with what we hear and then go away and forget what we have heard. Lord, have mercy upon us and grant, O God, insight into your will, your mind, your heart, your purposes, that we might be sanctified again this night. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. One Kings 8 concerns the dedication of this great temple that Solomon has spent seven years constructing. But the prayers and the concluding blessing of Solomon is in one sense far more important than the temple, even though the temple is the dwelling place of God. And the prayers and the blessing of Solomon are like an open window. And we can see right into this man's heart his innermost thoughts and desires as he addresses God directly and then in the hearing of all Israel. You find out as you listen to his words what this man really believes about the God to whom he prays. Now in these verses that we've read, verses 54 to 61, Solomon now rises from his knees. He has been pleading with God. He now stands. He stands before a large, gathered, public assembly. And he stands so that he can be heard, and he stands so that he can be seen, and he blesses the entire assembly with a loud voice. He is acting, if you like, as a high priest 
blessing the people of God. He is a king, but he is acting here also as a high priest. And as he blesses these people, we have seen that there are three things that are impressed upon his mind and his heart. Looking into the window, as it were, of this man's heart, we see he has a profound sense of God's faithfulness. There has not failed one word of all God has promised, he says in verse 56. All his good promise that he promised through his servant Moses. Solomon trusts in God and in God's complete faithfulness. But he also, as we look into this window, see this man in verses 57 and 58, he has an intense longing for the presence of God. That God would not forsake them, would not abandon them and leave them. And to that end, his desire is expressed. Lord, incline our hearts to yourself to walk in all your ways. If you put it in that prayer form, that is would have been the prayer of Solomon. And then this evening we come to the third and last of these things that we see as we look through this window in these particular verses. He has here in verses 59 and 60 what I am calling a confident anticipation of the promptness of God to maintain the cause of Israel. And by promptness, I mean his readiness, God's readiness, God's willingness to act on behalf of Solomon and Israel. It's his promptness, his readiness, his willingness. Solomon has a confident anticipation that God will hear and act according to his prayers. That promptness is demonstrated in at least four ways in verses 59 and 60. Firstly, we see God's promptness to hear Solomon's pleas. Solomon says, To all Israel, may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night. Solomon firmly believes. He has a confident anticipation that God has heard and will answer his supplications. God has not turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to his pleas. He has not prayed in vain. He has not just been bouncing words off the walls of the temple. He has addressed the living and true God and he is persuaded that God will be near, these words will be near the Lord our God day and night. That's a way of saying constantly. If we say every day and every night, we mean all the time, don't we? Constantly. That tells us something about this man as he prayed. And his hopes and his anticipations were not false. For we read in chapter 9 and verse 3, the Lord appears to Solomon later on and says, I have heard your prayer." And your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Day and night. Continually. Constantly. Remember that many of those pleas, many of those supplications that Solomon had uttered on behalf of himself and the nation had to do with the sins of the people. Five of the seven petitions had to do with sin and forgiveness. When Israel sins, when they turn back to you, when they confess, their sins and make supplication to you here in heaven and forgive 
He is pleading that God will not abandon his people because of their sin. But he will hear their cries and pardon them. And Solomon is confident that those pleas have been heard by God. Solomon then is convinced that the God to whom he prays is present, he is real, he is there, his ears hear, his eyes see, that there is sympathy, there is understanding on the part of God, there is a willingness, there is a readiness, there is a promptness on the part of God to respond to those heartfelt pleas for the nation of Israel. We've had occasion to refer before to the Baal worshippers in 1 Kings and verse uh, 1 Kings in chapter 18. You remember the Baal worshippers in the days of Elijah and Ahab? Remember how they worked themselves up into that frenzy, almost into a fit? And they began to cut themselves and to shed blood. And that made Elijah mock them. Come on, he says, cry out to them. He's a god, isn't he? Well, perhaps he's meditating. Perhaps he's busy. Perhaps he's gone on a journey. Oh, well, perhaps he's even having a sleep. Shout a bit louder and see if you can wake him up. What a contrast with Solomon. We read in 1 Kings 18.27 There was no voice. No one answered the prophets of Baal. But what do we find in chapter 9 and verse 3? The Lord says to him, I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer song. And Solomon is convinced of that. He's convinced this is the character of the God to whom he prays. God's promptness to hear his pleas. And they are largely pleas for forgiveness. And instead of that frenzy and the shedding of blood in order to work up some kind of frenzy, there is a calm, confident series of seven petitions and supplications. And Solomon says, May these words of mine be near the Lord our God day and night. He doesn't go on a journey. He doesn't sleep. He's not off meditating. He's not busy doing something else. His ear is constantly open. And he hears the pleas and the supplications of his people. That's the first thing. That's the first way in which God's promptness is seen. But the second way, there is God's promptness to act for his people. Notice the purpose in verse 59. May these words of mine, which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, in order that, so that, he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day may require. Solomon anticipates and is confident in his anticipation that God will not only hear but answer these prayers and to the end that he will maintain the cause of Solomon and the nation of Israel. Now Solomon knows he's only God's servant. He cannot dictate to God what God will do. God is the sovereign Lord. But Solomon is persuaded. He believes that God has committed himself to maintaining the cause of his people. He has used language like this, the cause of his servant, maintaining the cause of his servant. He's used that before in verses 45 and 49 in his supplications. It literally means to maintain righteousness. That is, Solomon is calling upon God to give his judgment, to answer for them, to act for them, to back them, if you will, as his chosen people, despite their sins, to maintain his holy purpose and cause among them. He's saying, uphold my cause as king, uphold the cause of your own people, 
Those whom you've redeemed out of Egypt. Those whom you have separated from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke through your servant Moses. Uphold the cause of your servant Solomon. You've chosen me to be your, the king. You appointed me to build the temple in fulfilment of the promise that you gave to my father David. Uphold my cause. Uphold the cause of this nation. Maintain it. Act for us. Do not leave us. Do not abandon us, but act for us. Solomon believes that all that he is doing as he prays at the dedication of this temple is all working to one grand and glorious purpose. The purpose that God has. The plan that God has. And he is pleading, God, don't abandon your plan. Don't abort it. Don't forsake us. Don't leave us to ourselves. And certainly do not leave us to our sin when we sin against you. The building of the temple, the dedication of this temple is a new phase in the history of the nation. Now Israel has rest in the land, just as God promised he would give them. Verse 56. And Solomon is bold, is confident, and anticipates that God will maintain the cause of his people. That he will act for them. Even if the worst case scenario of chapter 8 and verse 46 happens, as it certainly did. Do you remember that last petition? It concerns the future when Israel so sins that they are taken and they are scattered among the nations. It's about the exile. It's a very interesting that we read this morning in our Old Testament reading, Ezekiel chapter 20. And that last section has to do with God refusing to abandon his people. And Solomon was confident that that would be the case. Let that passage in Ezekiel 20 underline what you have here. Solomon's trust in God was not misplaced, but well placed. Then there is a third aspect. And it's easy to overlook this because it's only a little phrase. Not only God's promise to hear Solomon's prayers, his pleas, and God's promise to act for his people, but God's promise to act as each day requires. You say, well, you said that already. God's going to hear day and night. He's going to be near these supplications. He's going to be near the Lord day and night. Why, why add this phrase? As each day may require. I think there's something additional here. Something we need to take note of. Something that's very encouraging. You know that the scripture says in Psalm 90 that from everlasting to everlasting you are God. A thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, like a watch in the night. You might conclude from that that, well, a single day to God is of no particular consequence. A thousand years is a day, a day is a thousand years. God is above time, isn't he? Yes. But he also created a 24-hour day and a seven-day week. And Solomon is persuaded of that too. He knows who this God is. He knows who this great creator is. And he believes and has a confident anticipation in God's promptness and readiness and willingness to respond to each and every day's needs. When Israel is in the wilderness, what is their great need? Food. Manna. The manna came from heaven. Did it come once a week, once a month? Every single day? And twice as much on the last day of the week, so they did not have to collect it. Sorry, on, on the sixth day, so they did not have to collect it on the Sabbath day. As each 
day required, God fed his people. It's the same word that is used here as is used in Exodus 16 and verse 4 to re- with regard to the manna. Think again. Think on to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he teach us in the fourth petition? How to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus was aware each day's needs. We read in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16 that the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And he is greater than Solomon. But he himself provides grace and mercy to help in time of need. Now you're saying this is anything about each day there. But that's implied. Solomon, you see, is persuaded. He has that confident anticipation that God, though he has a great and glorious plan that is working towards a grand finale, he is prompt to act on behalf of his people as each day requires. You see, it's very easy for us to think of the greatness of God and to think in terms of, well, he's involved in the big occasions, like the exodus out of Egypt. He's, in, he's involved in big events like the pulling down of the walls of Jericho. When David has to go and fight Goliath before the Philistines and before the nation of Israel. When the temple is dedicated. Well, certainly God is involved in those big things. But Solomon also believes. And I would suggest that every single Christian ought to imitate Solomon in this regard. He also believes that God is committed, that God is ready and willing to prompt and prompt to act for his people as each day requires. God is not just committed to fulfilling his kingdom plans on the big scale. It means he is concerned about each of his people, each individual. It means that while you are here, you think, well, I'm part of the people of God, and I'm involved, but tomorrow, there you are amongst the world. Do you become forgotten of God tomorrow? Does he remember you today because it's the Lord's day but tomorrow you're on your own? As each day requires. Supposing you're suddenly plunged into sickness and ill health, weakness, tempted. You feel desperate. You may feel afraid. Does God shut you out? As each day requires. You fall into sin. God's grace as each day requires. That is what Solomon was praying for us when we sin in 1 Kings 8. You face a daunting duty and you feel your weakness. How can I accomplish that? How can I do that thing? As each day requires. God is ready to act. Christ is a sympathetic high priest, compassionate, powerful, who will give you grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. You see, you have an open window into the heart and the mind of Solomon. You see what this man really believes about God. The God to whom he prays. He has a confidence in God. He has a buoyant anticipation that God hears and that God is ready and willing to act. Not only on the big scale, but for each individual. There is a marked dependence upon God. He is trusting in him. He is relying upon him. He is well aware that if the Lord abandons Israel, if he does not maintain their cause, if he does not provide for them, if he does not protect them, if he does not forgive them their sins, 
that all will be lost. And Israel will just be like any of the other nations on the face of the earth. You see, he's teaching Israel, he's teaching us. But there is one more aspect to God's promptness. This is where it all is focused upon. You see, the fourth thing that he is concerned about, and the fourth thing that he is confident and has this anticipation about, is God's promptness to act for his own glory among all the nations. There is a further purpose clause here in verse 60. So that, in order that, all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. God has a plan that he is working to. Israel lies in the centre of that plan. The Exodus, bringing them out of Egypt, redeeming them from the hand of the Egyptians, redeeming them unto himself, taking them into the wilderness, giving them his laws and his commandments, teaching them how they could worship him, bringing them through the wilderness, even though that generation perished. Then under Joshua, taking them into the land, and then finally under David, giving them rest from all their enemies, and under Solomon, building this great temple. What is God doing in all of this? In making his people, maintaining his cause over these many years. And doing so as each day requires it is in the end, to the end that all nations may know that the Lord is God, no other. There is is additional. It's, it's, it's put that way bluntly. The Lord is God, no other. Solomon is fully persuaded of that. This is God's ultimate end. Implies God's sovereignty, his authority, his power, that he is the rightful possessor of everything in heaven and earth. And what is Solomon's anticipation is that God will be rightfully recognized as the God who is the sole Lord God. You see, Solomon is not building his own kingdom. He's not concerned fundamentally with his fame and his name. He's concerned with the name and the fame and the honour and glory of the God who has redeemed them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. He is concerned with the glory and the honour of the one true and living God. All the other gods are idols. They are nothing. All the religions of this world are false. There is but one God, and Solomon confesses, the Lordship of the Lord God of Israel, their Redeemer. No one else, no one like him. He alone is God, the owner and possessor of all things. And he says, and it is logical when you think about the implication of it, if this is the case, then he says in verse 61, let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. He deserves our love. He deserves our allegiance. Our obedience. That's why God gave the first and the second commandments. You will have no other gods beside me. You don't bow down to any carved image. You worship me and me alone. Because all the other gods of this world are nothing. All the gods of Egypt are nothing. They are but the imagination of men's thoughts. What Solomon is ultimately praying for here is the glory of God through the obedience of Israel and the response of Israel to God's great redemptive work. His choosing them out has a purpose, has a, is a plan in order that his own glory will be seen among the nations, the idolatrous nations of the earth, and that they will see there is only one God. Why did God choose Israel? 
to be a light to the Gentile nations of the earth. That is something that gripped the mind of Isaiah and some of the other prophets. God's will ultimately was to bring a saviour, Jesus Christ, from this nation of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David. And that is the reason why God will not ultimately abandon Israel, even though they sin. He will not, he cannot, because he has a cause to maintain. He will glorify his name among the nations of the earth. All the nations will know that the Lord is God, no other. And we're left to marvel at the wisdom and the power of God that he acts for his own glory. When the day of Jesus Christ comes, God will be glorified finally and fully and dramatically. That will be the final vindication. Everyone will know and acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. It has been appointed by divine decree. It has been underwritten by God's promises and by God's oaths. It has been displayed by God's works. And this is something that Solomon now has insight into. And as he gains that increasing insight into the word and the promises of God and all God's covenant dealings with his people and his calling them out of Egypt, his calling them to be himself, the giving of the law, the giving of the promises, the working out of all these things, he realizes that Israel is to be a nation then whose heart is set upon obeying God. And in this way, God will be glorified among all the nations of the world. Solomon is persuaded of these things. This is what makes this man's heart tick. This is why he has prayed the way that he has prayed. And the same persuasions he has the same convictions he has, the same desires he has, are to be the same convictions and desires and persuasions that ought to characterize us as the people of God. If, now coming very specifically, if God is prompt, ready and willing to hear Solomon's pleas, to act for his people, to act as each day requires, and to act for his own glory, then there are a number of implications. The first implication, I'm not addressing it to the professing Church of Christ. I want to address myself to those of you who are, at this moment in time, still outside the kingdom, who are not Christians, perhaps seeking Perhaps concerned to become a Christian. Perhaps you said, I would like to become a Christian. I'm going to become a Christian. This passage has something to say to you. First of all, there's a warning. If you are not a Christian, there is only one God. There is no other. He alone is God. He is real. And you cannot stand against this God and overthrow him. Ask Pharaoh, ask Sennacherib whether you can stand against this God. Pharaoh knew the Lord. Sennacherib knew the Lord, but not in blessing, in salvation, in judgment. There is a warning. If you will refuse and go on refusing Jesus Christ, you will know the Lord, but you will know him in judgment and not in blessing. But I also want to encourage you. You see, you may also know the Lord now in grace. 
You may know him in grace. Solomon prayed that in verse 43. Here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. You can become a Christian. You can become one who knows this God. At the very beginning of this service I read a passage from Isaiah chapter 45. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. For I am God. There is no other. There is no other Saviour. There is no other God. There is no other Redeemer. Therefore, turn to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. You say, well, will Jesus Christ receive me? Well, Go through the books of Matthew, Mark and Luke and John and tell me there, can you find any single individual who went to Jesus with their plea and they were told no and they were turned away and rejected. Remember blind Bartimaeus? Son of David, have mercy upon me. It was the crowd who said, shut up. He's not interested in you. But it was Jesus who heard that man's plea and went to him. What is it you want me to do for you? He said, my eyes, my sight. And Jesus gave him back his sight. Sometimes Jesus was so merciful and so kind that men and women didn't even ask for his help. But he came to their aid. The widow of Nain. On her way to bury her son. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Stopped that funeral procession. And he went. To that young man. Being carried out to be buried. And he raised him from the dead. And gave him back. To his mother. Jesus Christ receives sinners. Jesus Christ saves sinners. He is the only Saviour there is. There is no other. There is no other. Therefore come to Him in all your sinfulness and cast yourself upon the Saviour of sinners. That's what it means to look unto Him. To believe upon Him. To cast yourself upon Him. And cry out to him, Lord, save me, wash me, make me clean, make me one of your own, save me from my sins. Grant me a repentant and believing heart. There is no other saviour. But then, let me come to the people of God. If God is prompt and ready and willing to hear Solomon's pleas, then there's a word of instruction here, encouragement for the Christian. There are times when we feel overwhelmed, times when we are discouraged in prayer and disappointed in prayer. But if God is prompt and ready and willing, your prayers count. I want to put it as bluntly as that. Your prayers to God count. You're not praying to God in an earthly temple. You're praying to God who is in heaven, in the holiest place of all. Jesus Christ has made that new and living way open for us. The Lord told Solomon, Solomon, I have heard your supplications. Your prayers count. Your prayers matter. I have heard what you have said. My eyes and my heart will be there in that temple perpetually, day and night, as each day requires. Yes, God is working things out on the big stage. Yet He cares for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year God will never, ever abandon you and turn a deaf ear 
to your prayers. Do not measure God's ability to hear by your personal discouragement and the state of your heart. You see, that is unbelief. Prayer is something that God has put in his plan. It's not, it's not faithless. God is sovereign. Yes, God has made these wonderful promises. Yes, God will maintain the cause of his people. But the God who is working through his plans and purposes and decrees also has appointed the means to the end. And part of the means to the end are the prayers of God's people. God, as it were, draws us in by his grace and he gives us insight into his plans and his purposes and he works his will and his purposes into our desires and he will have us cry out unto him for the fulfilling of his plans and his purposes. Your prayers matter. Your prayers count. Solomon's did. And God said, I have heard your prayer, Solomon. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Sometimes when you pray, you don't believe that, do you? Unless you're different to me. We find that sometimes hard to believe. But Solomon believed it. And we are to believe it. The God who provided the daily quarter of manna for Israel all those hundreds and thousands of years ago he is the same God who is able to supply your every need day by day. Whatever it is. Whether it's the cares and concerns of the Church of Christ, whether it's your concerns as a mother, harassed, stressed by a child that will not stop crying. Perhaps you're caring for a sick parent. Perhaps you face a particular temptation. Perhaps you have a stressful colleague at work who, if you're honest, is a pain in your neck. God's grace is not sufficient. As each day requires. Why should you exclude that? Those situations that bring pain, sorrow, grief, distress, as each day requires. Your prayers count. Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord. All things are under his feet. He is given to the church as head over all things. Principalities, powers, mights, dominions, every name in this age and the age to come under his feet under his authority. That's the one who cares for you. That's the one whose ear is open to your cry. Every day, every night. That is the one who supplies your every need as each day requires. Not one of his sheep is ever abandoned by him. What did David say in the best known psalm, Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. And what's the next line say? I lack nothing. I lack nothing. My God supplies every need. Every need. Paul knew that. Solomon knew that. Your prayers count. Your prayers matter. That is the way that God would have us walk in this world. Believing that God is prompt and ready and willing to hear our prayers. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. But what is going to be the thing that keeps us praying? The knowledge that God 
is ready and willing to hear and our prayers matter and they count. But then if God finally is prompt, ready and willing to hear Solomon's pleas, then there's a word of exhortation. It's there in verse 61. And it is repeated in various points in this prayer and implied in this prayer. Do you sometimes say, is this life as a Christian worth it? There are times when you feel it is not worth it. There are times when you do not desire the well-being of the church of Jesus Christ as you ought to. But God is not about to abandon you, not about to abandon his church, not about to abandon his righteous cause. He never abandoned Jesus Christ. He never abandoned his people. You do not believe in vain. You do not pray in vain. You do not worship and serve him in vain. You do not bear witness in vain. The exhortation in verse 61 is, if all these things are true about God, his faithfulness to his promises, his presence with his people, his promptness and readiness to hear the cries of his people and to forgive them their sins, then, says Solomon, let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. But you say to me, look at the setbacks. Look at the discouragements there are. We were praying earlier about those three men who were martyred in Turkey. Brutal, gruesome, torture and death at the hand of these Islamic students. You say, well, perhaps that's what's going to happen here in this country. We're very much in a minority. Islam seems to be on the increase. Maybe that kind of thing will happen here in 10 years, 20 years. Or you say, well, what about all the advancing secularism and humanism and the unbelief and the ungodlessness that we see all around us? We're swamped by these things. Does that mean to say then we abandon the ship? Or does that mean to say then what we better do is batten down the hatches, get our heads below the battlements and just cover ourselves for a while and hide away in the hopes that it will all go away? Is that the way we are to bear witness in this world? Well, it's not bearing witness at all, is it? No, we are to go on. There is a very real sense in which a Christian is never, ever on the back foot. There may be setbacks, but if you have the promises of God, the presence of God, and you know that God is able and willing and ready and prompt to hear your pleas, then how can you go back? How can you abandon him? How can you not be loyal to the Lord your God? How can you not serve him? will be right out of character and out of keeping with all that God has done and is doing and is working towards if you then decide, I'm going to abandon God. And yet we are tempted to do so sometimes. But let us trust his promises. Let us believe in his presence. Let us be loyal to the Lord our God. May he incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways. God will not fail us. If he fails us, he has ceased to be God. If he fails us, then he has broken his promises. If he fails us, it cannot be, can it? It cannot be. He cannot fail his people. He cannot go back upon his word. When you look at our Lord Jesus Christ, you see the manner of his life. He did not flinch. He groaned. He was deeply in sorrow and pain in the garden of Gethsemane. And there was worse to come when he was cursed on the cross. 
But even in his darkest hours in Gethsemane and there in Golgotha, he had cried out prior to that time, Father, glorify your name. And when he came to die into your hands, I commit my spirit. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He trusted in his Father. He believed his promises. He believed his presence. He remained loyal to the one who had sent him into the world. And he is the great pattern, the great exemplary for us to follow. There's a very real sense in which the progress of the Church of Jesus Christ relies upon the loyalty of God's people. That's not to set aside the promises of God, not to set aside his promised presence, not to set aside the fact that he is ready to hear our prayers. But if all those things were true and we abandon God and are no longer loyal to God, what happens to his cause in this world? We become just like the nations. That is why Solomon gives this exhortation. And I would urge you to receive that exhortation. To keep your eye on Jesus Christ. To keep your eye on the ultimate goal. To keep your eye on the glory of God. There is a day coming where the whole earth is going to know there is no other God but him alone. You already know that. You are already persuaded of that. There is no other. Then live as if there is no other. Live loyal to him. Make that your sole aim. Make that your sole purpose. Day by day. Pray for grace from your great high priest. Pray for mercy from that same high priest. As each day requires Pray to him that he will give you that grace and mercy to live to that end. Be loyal to the Lord your God. May God grant us that grace. Amen. O Lord, give us that loyal heart, we pray. We come and consecrate ourselves afresh to you. We are living sacrifices. Pray that we may be those who love you, who serve you, who worship you all the days of our life here upon this earth. Help us to live, to eat, to drink, and to do all we do to the glory of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.